0: All right. Good afternoon. Let's grab our seats. We're going to get started. So my, my name is Michael Snosek. I'm one of the instructors in the anatomy department, for those of you that uh, haven't met me in lab. Um, so I'll be doing the next uh, two lectures with you guys. So we're going to um, do bone one and bone two. A lot of similarities, as you'll see, between uh, cartilage and bone. So a lot of the same um, uh, components will kind of come up. So you see the similarities between the two tissues. Remember that both uh, bone and cartilage are uh, types of uh, connective tissues. So there's definitely some similarities in the underlying um, organization. Okay? If you have your clickers with you, just get your clickers uh, ready for those of you that you know, do have them and they actually work properly for once. Um, but we're going to have a couple clicker questions. So, at the beginning of your lectures, you should see uh, your objectives. So, when you're studying or reviewing this lecture later on, try to go through all the objectives and make sure that um, you're able to answer uh, all the questions there and able to familiarize, familiarize yourself with, with all the concepts. Okay? So like I said, we have a specialized connective tissue, and like uh, other connective tissues that you guys looked at before, we're going to have a cellular component, and we're going to have uh, an extracellular matrix. Okay? What's going to make bone uh, you know, special in this case, uh, as opposed to just regular connective tissue, is of course going to be the, uh, the matrix is going to be calcified. Okay? So it's going to be the unique feature of bone. If we're looking at the extra matrix, uh, it's gonna have two components here. We're gonna have uh, an organic portion uh, and an inorganic portion. Okay? The organic portion is gonna be uh, predominantly um, collagenous protein. So you know, 90% it says here of the total weight is gonna be collagenous proteins. So of that, it's gonna be predominantly type one collagen. Okay? We're also gonna have the different types of collagen like type five, type three, uh, 11 and 13, and a few other ones. What is happening? We've been hacked. Russians, that's right. (laughs) All right. Um, Aside from the... Uh, collagenous proteins, the other 10% is going to be uh, non-collagenous proteins, okay, this is what's going to make up the ground substance so we're going to have things like proteoglycans, glycoproteins um, some growth factors and cytokines, and all these different components are going to be essential for proper bone development, growth uh, remodeling and repair, which we're going to look at later on okay? um, now both of the collagen uh, collagenous proteins and the non-collagenous proteins are going to be the ones that are going to be mineralized, okay the inorganic portion, uh, which represents about fifty percent of the dry weight uh, of the matrix, is going to be predominantly uh, calcium phosphate now calcium phosphate and, and human bones that we 're going to be looking at here is going to be uh, found predominantly in the form of hydroxyapatite crystals okay. aside from the calcium phosphate we 're going to have some other uh, trace minerals so we 're going to have things such as bicarbonate, uh, citrate, magnesium, potassium, and sodium okay. so when we have this organic portion, hopefully everybody uh, understands what the difference between organic and inorganic uh, compounds are. Right? So what, what is the identifiable feature? What is the you know, characteristic of organic? Okay, but what, or, what is the difference between organic and inorganic? How are they going to differ from each other? Okay, so organic is going to be something that we're going to be able to make ourselves within the body. Okay? They're going to be coming from from our bodies we're able to produce these things right the inorganic material is the stuff that we have to take in from the outside we have to either ingest it uh, or somehow take it in. Okay. Now turning on to the actual cellular components so we're going to have different types of cells uh, found in the bone tissue now aside from these cells they're going to be looking at here there's of course going to be other types of cells found in and around the bone uh, like the migrating types of cells, like the different macrophages and white blood cells and so on that are coming in and out of the different tissues of the body. But the cells that we're going to be talking about here specifically have something to do with actual uh, either bone formation or bone remodeling. Okay? So we we'll start off with osteoprogenitor cells, also called uh, osteogenic cells. Okay? These are the cells that are going to be um, differentiating into osteoblasts. Now osteoblasts are going to be the workhorse cell uh, of bone, okay? So osteoblasts are going to be the ones that are going to be secreting the organic, uh, unmineralized still, uh, matrix or, or osteoid, okay? So when you hear the word osteoid, it's basically the matrix that these osteoblasts are producing and secreting out of the cell. Once these osteoblasts secrete all the osteoid, they basically get trapped within their own osteoid. So they just keep secreting things out of the cell. Eventually they're, they're all tied up and they have no more kind of room around them. And they basically stop secreting. And at the point where they stop secreting, they become osteocytes. Okay? So they just kind of change their, um, their function. So they're still the same cell. It's just one is the one that's actually producing and the other one just kind of now resting. So we're going to say that they basically maintain the matrix. They're no, no longer secreting. On the flip side, we have the osteoclasts. Okay, so the osteoclasts are going to be the ones that are going to be uh, breaking down the bone. So we're going to say they resorb the bone back. Okay? Now these are going to have a completely different uh, lineage, so they're not going to be derived from these osteogenic cells. They're actually going to be derived from uh, the fusion of monoblasts. So they're going to be a, a multinucleated giant cells. That we'll look at it um, in a little bit more detail in a bit. But we can already see that it has multiple nuclei here. They're much, much larger uh, they're an osteoblast, and it's usually fairly easy to pick them out in a histological section, so uh, that shouldn't be too hard. And finally, we're going to have bone lining cells. Um, they're uh, mentioned in your book as a separate section. Uh, they're not truly different types of cells. They're just kind of cells. Um, the osteoblasts are kind of differentiated a little bit and serve a little bit different function. But as the name implies, they're going to be the cells that are going to be lining the outside and the inside uh, of the bone. Okay, So if you look at the osteogenic cells, so these are the cells that are derived even further back, if we look at from the mesenchymal stem cells. Now, mesenchymal uh, tissue or mesenchymal cells are basically the kind of the primordial kind of building blocks of, of all our tissues in our body. So these types of cells are able to differentiate and become you know, different, different types of uh, cells and tissues uh, in our bodies, and one of the lineages that they can become is these osteoprogenitor cells. So once they differentiate into these osteoprogenitor cells, they're basically destined to become bone-forming cells. Okay? And then from there, they're going to then differentiate and become osteoblasts and then start producing uh, the osteoid. Okay? These osteoblasts, as the image here kind of shows, eventually can also differentiate kind of and become bone-lining cells. So bone-lining cells are essentially osteoblasts that are kind of differentiated even further. Okay, so osteoblasts, uh, morphologically the osteoblasts uh, can appear either cuboidal or flattened. And again, this has to do with uh, the function that they're they're serving or what they're doing at the moment. So they're going to become or uh, appear more cuboidal uh, when they're uh, in their high secreting kind of uh, stage. So when they're producing the osteoid material, they're going to have this large cytoplasm, they're going to have a lot of organelles, as we'll see, uh, so they're going to have this cuboidal appearance. Once they've kind of done their secreting uh, function and they become osteocytes, or on their way to become osteocytes, they can appear more flattened, so that they essentially will look like osteocytes. The reason for that is they basically get rid of all or most of their organelles because they're no longer secreting the osteoid. They don't really need them anymore, so they're going to uh, get rid of them. You use it or you lose it, right? Now from these osteoblasts, we, we notice that the cell has these kind of processes that are extending out from it. And, and definitely once you get into the osteocyte, you see how extensive uh, these extensions are. So these osteoblasts send out these, these cytoplasmic processes out to basically make contact with uh, their neighboring cells. And they're going to use these cytoplasmic processes to basically communicate with their neighbors. And this is going to become very important later on for the survival of this cell, because if you think about the different uh, tissues in the body that, that we have in other regions, uh, a lot of cells rely on diffusion to get their nutrients in and waste material out. Of course, that's not going to be uh, practical in bone, because we're going to mineralize the matrix. So once we're going to mineralize the matrix, we're no longer able to rely on diffusion to get things in and out of the cell, so these cytoplasmic processes are going to be basically the, the, you know, the life-supporting extensions of the cell in order to get nutrients from their neighbors and pass them on to the next guy. So it's going to be like a chain, chain link uh, between these cells. Okay, so we kind of mentioned this already. So osteoblasts have well-developed uh, rough endoplasmic reticulum and Golgi apparatus because they are producing this osteoid. They're producing a lot of protein um, structures. Uh, they're going to have uh, PAS-positive granules in the cytoplasm. You know, and in your textbook it says most likely due to the um, precursors of the gla- uh, glycoaminoglycans that they're uh, producing for the osteoid material. So they'll stain positive for that. We mentioned this before. Eventually they're going to ent- get entrapped uh, within the osteoid that they produce. And that little space within the osteoid that the cell occupies itself, the little pocket, where it sits, is going to be called the lacuna. Okay? And from this lacuna, we're going to have, again, these cytoplasmic processes that are going to extend out to the neighboring cells. And that little channel or canal through that osteoate material that this process extends through is going to be called a canaliculi or a canaliculus for singular. Okay? So you see that word again. Uh, you know that's where the cytoplasmic processes are going to be extending through. Once this osteoblast seizes its secretory function, it will change morphology, become more flat-like, and resemble more of a cytopla- uh, osteocyte, which will eventually uh, become. So osteocytes, obviously derived from osteoblasts, housed in their own lacuna, maintain communication um, with other cells through the canaliculi, and through these cytoplasmic processes, they're able to, again, exchange nutrients, metabolites, and there's a ju- uh, gap junction between the two, two cells where this occurs it's going to have a reduced amount of RER like we said uh, and Golgi apparatus and it's going to have a condensed nuclear chromatin Okay. so if we look at in this uh, electro uh, micrograph from the oste- comparison between osteoblast and osteocytes let's look at the osteocyte first so um, here is a, a typical osteocyte now this uh, line here basically outlines the, the extent of the cell. Okay, a lot of people make the mistake on the exams. You know, if they ask you what this is, what would this be here? Why am I looking at my pointer? All right, one second. There we go. Now I can't see my pointer. I have to look there. Okay. So you see the outline here, so what would this be here? That would be the nucleus. Okay? So the cell actually extends all the way out here. Okay? So that is the osteoid material there, and basically this whole thing is the cell. So don't confuse the nucleus uh, for the actual cell itself. Okay? Well, the reason we know that is because we have uh, the canaliculus here. Okay? So if we have the canaliculus here, that's the little chain on the osteoid material that the cytoplasmic process is going to extend out through, so if we know that there's a cytoplasmic process that's in this in the canaliculus, then we know that must be continuous with the cell. So this whole thing here has to be cytoplasm of the cell as well. So this big round thing here is just the nucleus, right? And then we have the condensed chromatin that we see here. And that pocket or the space that's occupied by this um, cell, that's going to be the lacuna. Okay? And as we can see on this, on this first image here, there's literally no space, or virtually no space, between uh, the cell and uh, the, the uh, overlying or the, the bone around it. Okay? So basically, this cell is now completely entrapped because there's no more space for it to expand or, or release any more osteoid material. Okay? So this, this osteocyte would now be in a resting phase, just kind of maintaining the cytoplasm. Okay? In contrast, if you look at the osteoblast in this image here, Okay. Again, we have the nucleus here. We have the nucleolus. Okay. Uh, look at the uh, extent of the organelles. So we have a much larger Golgi apparatus and RER compared to here. Okay. So this cell must be secreting, producing something. So its organelles are more pronounced. And there's also a, a space, or there's still um, empty kind of pocket between the edge of the cell and the osted material. So this is where the newly produced material would be released into. Okay, So the lacuna is not completely filled yet, so that osteoblast is still able to produce and release the material. Okay? There's a, and also another type of cell, or more, more so a function, of the osteocyte that's described in your, in your textbook, and there's a lot of research going on in this um, area right now, but the, what they've actually found is that the osteocyte is not this kind of lazy, you know, just... Um, Resting cell that they kind of previously thought of, it seems to actually has uh, some function in resorption of bone. Okay, so um, they s- speculate that uh, osteoclasts are still going to form the kind of the predominant kind of worker in breaking down the bone and releasing those minerals back into our bloodstream when we need uh, calcium or phosphate, for example, in our blood. But if you if you think about the number of osteocytes that we have in comparison to the number of osteoclasts that we have we have a lot more um, kind of redundant capacity um, of breaking down bone if we utilize the osteocytes. So what they speculate is that the osteocytes are actually able to break down the, the osteoid material within their immediate surroundings if, if need be. Okay? So for the most part, they're just sitting there, kind of just resting, not doing much, maintaining the uh, extracellular matrix. But if we do need to release calcium back into the blood they can break down that osteoid material just immediately around them, reabsorb the material, and release it back into the bloodstream. Now, it's not much. Let's say it's just a s- tiny little spicule of, of osteoid material, almost insignificant. But now, if you multiply that by the millions and millions of osteocytes that we have, all of a sudden, we have a great capacity to release a lot of minerals back into our blood uh, if we need it. So um, that's one of the functions that, that these osteocytes are able to do. They can almost Differentiate back into these resorptive osteocytes. Yes? No, the oste, once, osteocyte, um, once it kind of produces the osteoid material and gets trapped in the osteoid material and the osteoid material gets mineralized, it, it doesn't really go back into osteoblast because it has no reason to because there's no, nowhere for it to expand or grow into. So it's kind of a terminal uh, differentiation. Okay, we have another um, kind of section here through bone. So uh, what we start seeing here, and we're going to talk about it uh, in uh, future slides, is that bone usually is going to have this lamellar uh, kind of arrangement. Okay, So uh, you might not be able to appreciate it on, on the screen here, but there should be these kind of uh, layers, like layered appearance to these lamellar. Okay, So there's kind of like stacks of just this austate material, and it's kind of concentric, so it's almost like rings of a tree. And in between these rings, you're going to have these uh, osteocytes in these lacuna. And from these lacuna, we see these, these kind of dark lines. Those are the canaliculi that are extending out to basically communicate with the next cell. And that cell will have its own canaliculi extending and so on. So basically there is a, a communication network that all these uh, osteocytes are able to Uh, exchange materials and and, uh, nutrients and waste and so on back and forth between each other. So we talked about the osteoclasts. So these are the uh, multinucleated giant cells. They can have up to 50 nuclei, so they can be huge. Um, So on the histological section, sometimes you'll be able to see this big giant blob uh, kind of sitting in and around the the other cells. So this would be a, a, a bone spicule. And you know, somewhere on the surface of this bone speaker, you might see this big, giant cell. So this is basically an osteoclast that's just kind of latched on to this piece of bone and is in the process of remodeling this bone. Okay? So it's basically starting to kind of munch up this uh, piece of bone, and it's going to kind of work its way that way. So we mentioned this before. They're derived from a fusion of uh, monoblasts. And that little space where that cell occupies, or um, sometimes on the, on the images you see this kind of faint line, which is kind of that interchange between the osteoclast and the actual bone spicule, uh, that will uh, delimit the, the, the house-ship's lacuna. Okay, so the house-ship's lacuna is basically a depression in the bone, the kind of the hole that that cell has already dug up, uh, and where that osteoclast is going to sit in. Okay, so that would be the house-ship's lacuna. Now, if you look at the uh, osteoclast, we can uh, find some uh, specific uh, regions to these cells. Okay? So we break down into uh, three regions. So we have the ruffled uh, border. So this is going to be that part of the cell where we have these finger-like uh, projections extending uh, from the cell. So these are going to be evaginations of the cytoplasm of the cell that's going to extend towards the, uh, the bone matrix. So it's the surface of, of the bone. Okay. Now, why would we have these finger-like projections, do you think? Increased surface area, exactly. Okay. Anywhere in the body, you're going to see this kind of you know, um, finger-like projections anywhere. It's GI tract. Uh, uh, it's usually to increase surface area. Right? So instead of just having a flat interchange between the bone and the cell, and you only have this much of uh, surface area to work with, you greatly increase the amount of... Um, cell bone contact by having these evaginations okay? so you can break down much more bone much more quicker okay? so this is going to be the ruffled border the second one is going to be the clear zone so the clear zone is uh, out here on the periphery of the, of the cell now you have to imagine that this cell is you know in 3D space right so it's this this round cell so this uh, clear zone is going to be basically a ring going right around uh, the periphery of the cell and it's it's basically uh, like a fence around the construction zone. Okay, so if we if we think of this region here like the construction zone, this is where the you know the, the building or the breaking down of stuffs going to be happen. A lot of machinery, a lot of stuff going on. You want to kind of contain all that work to this region. So you're going to kind of border off this this area. Okay, so this clear region, what we really have there is we have these microfilaments that are going to be basically anchoring down the cell to the underlying bone matrix. Okay, so they're going to basically kind of clamp down onto the cell. And whatever's going on in this region here, now when we're going to be breaking down the bone, as we'll see, it's going to be a highly acidic environment, a lot of enzymes, a lot of proteases and so on uh, being released into this area to try to break down this bone. We want to contain it. We don't want any of those enzyme, enzymes to get out and you know, break down uh, bone in, in the wrong region. So this is going to contain all this uh, activity just to uh, the ruffled border region. And finally, we have the uh, basal region. So the basal region is just going to be basically the the rest of the cell where we're going to have all the organelles, the nucleus, um, and where we're going to have a storage for any of the uh, uh, material that we're going to reuptake from the cell. So during bone resorption, what happens? So we have these uh, lysosomal enzymes. So here's the lysosome. So we have a lot of different products stored inside it. So we're going to have all these lysosomal enzymes. Um, they're going to be coming from the Golgi complex. Um, and different hydrogen ions are going to be released into that confined space between uh, the cell and the bone matrix. Okay? So this is, we have here the uh, hydrogen ions being released and all the different um, enzymes. And that's going to start uh break down um, the matrix. Okay? So we're going to create an acidic environment. So when you release hydrogen ions, it's... Um, increases the, the pH, and you get an acidic environment. So when you get an acidic environment, it's, it creates the optimal conditions for all these um, uh, enzymes to, to start breaking down uh, the calcium phosphate. Once we start breaking down the calcium phosphate so that we demineralize the bone, we're essentially left with a decalcified bone matrix. Okay? And a decalcified bone matrix is essentially going to be a whole bunch of different proteins, collagen, and so on. So then we're going to release different types of uh, proteolytic enzymes and collagenous enzymes to start breaking down that organic uh, material. All this material is then going to get uh, taken up by the cell. okay? And these vacuoles and different products are going to get recycled. Whatever we can reuse, we'll reuse. And whatever the cell cannot use is just going to pass all that material off. okay? And then our bodies will deal with it However, they need to, whether, they, again, it can be recycled and reused somewhere else, or we're going to excrete it, okay? And finally, we have the uh, bone lining cells. Like I said, they're not truly a different types of cells. They're just a different um, a function of the osteoblasts, really. Um, but they're, that's where they're going to be derived from. They're going to have very little cytoplasm. They're going to have very little organelles, uh, and they're going to be very uh, flat, Okay? So they're going to be found both on the inside and on the outside um, surface of the cell. So on the outside of the cell, these are going to be called the periosteal cells. And on the inside of the cell, they're going to be called the endosteal cells. Okay? And we'll see in a second what the periosteum and endosteum is. But they're going to be uh, just basically lining uh, these two surfaces. Their function is not uh, truly understood yet, but uh, it's presumed that they have some sort of maintenance function and supportive function, uh, and not, they might be involved in uh, nutritional kind of support and letting different nutrients through uh, the periosteum and the endosteum. Okay? So here we see a, a, a cross-section through, uh, through a bone. So, over here would be basically the outside of the cell, and here would be the, the medullary cavity and the inside of the bone. Okay? So, lining the inside of the bone, the whole medullary cavity would have the endosteum, and on the uh, outside, we're going to have uh, the periosteum. Okay? Both the endosteum and periosteum are, are very much alike, and in fact, they're actually going to be continuous with each other and derived from the same, same kind of tissue. We'll see that later on. Uh, in the next lecture, okay? but it's a non-calcified uh, connective tissue layer um, that covers all the different surfaces of the bone with the exception of articular surfaces and what are we going to have at the articular surfaces? Hyaline cartilage Okay, so we're going to have hyaline cartilage, so I, uh, with exception of uh, those articular surfaces where we have hyaline cartilage, all the rest of bone is going to have uh, periosteum and an endosteum both uh, periosteum and osteum are going to be composed of uh, two layers. We're going to have an outer fibrous layer that's going to be more of the kind of protective, uh, uh, strength, kind of rigidity property, um, and then we're going to have an inner cellular layer. Okay, the inner cellular layer is going to contain osteoprogenitor cells. So again, kind of those um, stem cells, kind of destined to become bone cells. Uh, Able to differentiate into osteoblast, if need be again. Okay. If we look at the different channels that are traversing through the bone, and we're going to look at that later, but the endosteum that's lining the inside of the cell is actually continuous when we, continues with these channels here. So these channels are lined by the endosteum as well. And you know, if you kind of just follow this along, you see that eventually end up at the periosteum. Okay? So this is how the periosteum and endosteum are continuous with each other, and that's where the cellular composition is going to be very much uh, similar. Now, if we look at the, uh, bone growth and uh, bone remodeling, okay? you guys uh, looked at cartilage, so you, you know how cartilage uh, grows and, uh, and divides, and we have the chondrocytes that are able to just you know split up Multiply, divide, and spread apart, and continue growing. So cartilage is able to grow from the inside outwards, right? What do we call that? Interstitial growth, right? Um, that was 50 minutes ago, so you should be remembering this. Um, but we're not able to do that in bone, right? Why is that? Why can we have interstitial bone, interstitial growth in bone? It's rigid, right? It's mineralized, so we're not able to just take an osteoblast, an osteocyte, tell it to divide into two and start growing again because it's, it's already kind of cemented in place, right? Everything's rigid, everything's hard and mineralized, so we're not able to, to grow bone out from inside out, expand. So the only way that we can grow bone is going to be by doing what? Adding on top of it, right? You can basically just add more bone on top and then take it away somewhere else, right? So we can just keep piling bone on and break it down somewhere else and try to remodel it that way. And that's going to be called what? Appositional growth, right? Just like we saw in cartilage. Appositional because you're just adding to the existing bone. Okay? But we do have a couple tricks up our sleeve. So we do have these um, uh, epiphyseal growth blades, which are going to be cartilaginous in nature. So everything you guys just learned about cartilage is going to be uh, utilized to grow bones. Because this uh, epiphyseal growth plate uh, doesn't close down and becomes or remains cartilaginous for the uh, uh, immediate kind of period, right? Until you reach like puberty and, and you stop growing and these epiphyseal growth plates close off and become calcified. But until they do, uh, we're able to basically expand this cartilage and able to elongate and grow these, these bones uh, you know, lengthwise to try to lengthen these long bones. So, from the uh, appositional of growth, we're going to be utilizing or recruiting those osteoprogenitor cells that we, we talked about uh, in the periosteum. And they're, once they differentiate into osteoblasts, they're going to start producing osteoid material and basically keep putting on osteoid on top of the bone. And the bone is going to increase in girth, so it's going to become thicker. So, if we look at uh, basically the bone on the left here is uh, before remodeling. So this is the original shape of the bone, and let's say you know we keep growing. Uh, we're a li- little bit older now, and we need these bones to grow. We're gonna have to expand. So there's certain places in the bone that we're gonna have to add extra bone, and there's certain places where we might have to take away bone. So we're gonna have high osteoclast activity in this area, and high osteoblast activity in this area. Okay. And again, all this is, is going to be accomplished through the uh, osteoprogenitor cells from the periosteum from the outside and this uh, epiphyseal growth plate um, in the long bones. Okay, so we're able to elongate the bone but also remodel it through the different uh, cells in uh, the periosteum and the endosteum. Now, whatever we do on the outside, remember it also affects the inside as well. So there's going to be some remodeling activity going on the inside, on the medullary cavity side of the bone as well. So we're going to have to either reuptake the bone uh, or maybe add some bone in different areas. So remodeling is essentially a coordinated action between osteoblast and osteoclast. So who, you know, whoever does more, that's what happens with the bone. We either add extra bone or we start taking away bone. Now, regardless of uh, what the process is or, or how we grow this bone, we, we classify uh, the bone that's produced. So we have two types of uh, bone uh, that we can, we can produce. We can have immature bone and we can have mature bone. Okay? As the name implies, immature bone is obviously going to be the one that's laid down first. Um, it's also called primary bone or woven bo- bone. Um, and this is the kind of the quickest bone that we can produce. It's you know it's cheap, it's easy. We can we can produce it very quickly when needed, uh, but it, it's not very specialized. It's not um, the kind of the ultimate bone that we want if we want great strength and rigidity. So some of the features of immature bone it's going to be low mineral content uh, but highly cellular. Okay, so it's going to have a lot of cells uh, but less mineral uh, content in comparison to uh, the mature bone that we see in the next image here. So we have less cells, but a higher mineral content here. Okay? The collagen that's also found in the immature bone is going to be irregular um, kind of arrangement. So it's not going to have any kind of set orientation. It's just going to be kind of sporadically laid down everywhere. Okay? So that's why it's kind of very cheap and very quick to, to lay this bone down because we don't really need to worry about how we're laying it down and what direction. We just produce it, dump it, and it's there, okay? But then once we kind of start um, remodeling this bone, and, and how, how does bone remodel? What influences affect its orientation? Anybody know? Physical stress, okay? So physical stress is going to cause bone to remodel. Okay, what does physical stress mean? You, 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 you walk on it, right? Gravity, by you walking and standing on the bone, it tells the bone which... Uh, from which directions the forces are coming from. So it's telling it, okay, this is the long axis of the bone, this is the so- short axis of the bone, and so on. Right? Anybody ever fracture a fracture bone here? Anybody fracture a leg or an arm? Right? If you fracture your leg, right, you're, you get a cast, or you get the little boot thing or whatever. They tell you to stay on crutches for however many weeks. Then you go back to your doctor, they do another x-ray, or they check on it and say, okay, you, know, you can start walking on it. right? And they usually tell you, you know, put 25% weight-bearing right, or 50% weight-bearing. Why do they do that? They tell you to start stressing the bone as it's healing, as it's growing, because they want you to, to give it a little bit of feedback of, of what the, the collagen is supposed to do, which way it's supposed to be oriented. So when you first have a fracture, and we're going to talk about fracture later on, but this is the bone that will get laid down. Okay, Those two broken ends of the bone are going to get fused, but we don't know which way to lay down the collagen. So then you're going to start walking on it. You're going to start putting some stress on it, and eventually those collagen fibers are going to get reoriented along the long axis of the bone because you keep walking on it and telling the bone what to do. Okay? So it relies on that uh, feedback to remodel itself into this mature bone later on. There's a few places in the body where we have uh, immature bone pretty much for for the duration of our life so it doesn't, it doesn't um, remodel into mature bone. Uh, places such as the tooth sockets, uh, some of the suture lines in the bones of the skull, and at the sites of insertion of tendons into long bones, we'll have a little bit of uh, immature bone as well. This immature bone is then going to get uh, remodeled into mature uh, bone, and we have two types of uh, mature bone, which we're going to... Uh, which. You saw kind of on this previous image. So we can have either compact bone or spongy bone. So both of these are mature bone. So this is what we start off with, and then we can differentiate or uh, remodel it into one of these two types of mature bone, depending on its location. Okay. So mature bone, as we mentioned, it's going to have higher mineral content, lower cellular content, um, and it's going to be made up of these haversian systems, or osteons. Okay, the osteons are going to be basically the building blocks kind of, of, of the functional unit of, of bone tissue. And these osteons are going to be made up of these concentric layers of lamellae. Okay, so again, these kind of like layers um, of this osteo, uh, osteoid material. And inside, uh, we're going to have some blood vessels and nerves that are going to be traveling through the middle of it. So they're basically going to be these cylindrical units with blood vessels and nerves traveling through them. And the cylindrical unit, this osteon, is again going to rearrange itself or arrange itself along the long axis of the bone where the stresses are going to be applied to it. So it pretty much serves as a column on a bridgewood supporting the weight. Okay, So if we look at these two histological uh, sections from bone tissue... So here we see the um, immature uh, bone, and we see that it kind of has this haphazard arrangement. We don't really see which direction uh, the osteons are arranged. In fact, there is no real osteon. It's just kind of a big mishmash of stuff going on here. It kind of looks like cotton candy appearance. That's the way they describe it. And you see it's highly cellular. All those little black dots everywhere, these are gonna be our uh, osteocytes and osteoblasts. Okay? In contrast, and compare that to the image on the right side, you see that it's got this osteon arrangement to it, so it's got this concentric lamellae appearance, and we have this central canal where we're going to have some blood vessels and nerves uh, traveling through it. Okay? And we see all these osteons around here, they're all pretty much arranged in the same direction, um, so the osteon is basically coming out of the page, so we know that the long axis of the bone would be coming out of the page. All right? So here are the two types of mature bone. So we have compact bone. Compact bone is uh, very dense and heavy, as the name implies, and it's going to be predominantly found on the outside of bone. So it's going to be basically forming the kind of outer collar um, of bone here. Okay. So this outer collar here, this would be all uh, compact bone. The spongy bone, or cancellous bone, as the name implies, is going to be spongy. It's going to be uh, air pockets inside of it. Okay, it has almost appearance of like coral in the sea or uh, sea sponge. Okay? So there's a lot of air pockets in between, and it's got this kind of trabecular appearance of this kind of fine web of these little bone spicules. Okay? Um, inside of these spaces or the, these uh, air pockets, they're going to be filled with uh, bone marrow. Okay? Uh, predominantly red bone marrow and the long bones, and then with age, uh, the, a lot of these... Um, Red bone marrow gets replaced with yellow bone marrow, which is going to be predominantly fat. Okay? So the red bone marrow is where we still have hemopoietic activity going on, so that's why with, you know, the younger you are, the more hemopoietic activity you have. So most of your long bones will be filled with red bone marrow, and as you get older, elderly people and so on, if you looked inside of the long bones in the humerus and femur and so on, you see that it slowly gets uh, replaced um, by yellow marrow. So here's a nice section of, uh, of actual bone, and if we look at a very high magnification of this tissue here, we see this kind of trabecular, kind of spicular arrangement of uh, this spongy bone. So we see there's definitely lots of air pockets, a lot of space in between. Compare that to the compact bone that's forming this outer collar here. Now, compact bone is, is great. It's, it's, it's hard, it's stiff, it's strong, uh, it, it doesn't break very easily. So why not just have this whole bone be made up of compact bone and just have this, you know, solid bone that probably would never break in your life? So why don't we have that? It'd be too heavy, exactly, okay? So the the main reason why we have this spongy bone is that basically we try to save on weight, okay? Um, If we had the bone just be made up uh, only of this compact bone, then this bone would be very, very heavy, okay? and if you'd have all these heavy bones then you'd have to have much bigger muscles in order to move them so then you know would have extra muscles and then would have bigger bones to have to support all these muscles and so on and so on okay so we kind of try to strike a fine balance between having strong bones and yet minimize the weight so they have you know effective movement If we look at the uh, compact bone, we have this functional unit that we mentioned, the osteon. And here you can very nicely see that kind of cylindrical uh, appearance and kind of composition of it. So um, we see that the adjacent layers of these osteons are going to have this kind of variable uh, arrangement to, to the lamellae. So we see that kind of the collagen fibers are going to be oriented. Where is my pointer again? Here we go. The fibers are going to be oriented in this direction, in this lamellae, and then in the next lamellae, they're now uh, oriented in that direction, and then again in this direction, in that direction. So they're kind of alternating. And this is what gives the, the tissue its great strength. And these osteons can range from, from 4 to 20 uh, of these concentric layers. Okay? In the middle of this uh, osteon, we see that we have this conversion uh, canal. Okay? So that's that kind of... Uh, uh, canal in the middle of it and we're going to have the osteonal artery and vein and we're going to have some nerves traveling through it. Okay? So that would be the functional unit. This would be, or up here, we basically have this osteon. Okay? In between this uh, this layer uh, appearance, we have those uh, osteocytes, so they'd be kind of in between these layers and they'd have the, the traditional canaliculi extending from them Communicating with adjacent cells. So, if we look at the osteon in this area here, where the blood is coming in, so obviously the osteocytes that would be closest to the artery would be the first one to get all the nutrients and oxygens and all the good stuff, right? They would kind of take what they want and they would pass it on to their neighbors through those canaliculi. And then uh, that neighbor would get it and then pass it on to the next guy. So, these guys out here are the kind of runt of the litter, right? They're kind of the last ones to get all the good stuff. Um, but the reverse is kind of true in the, the waste side of it, right? So when these guys are dumping the waste, they pass it on to this guy. This guy then passes it to this guy. So basically all the waste kind of accumulates back towards the vein, okay? So nutrients flow out this way, and then waste comes back towards the vein, Aside from the osteons, we also have a few other kind of lamellae. So we have an outer circumferential lamellae and inner circumferential lamellae. So, as the name kind of implies, the outer one is going to be following underneath the periosteum and it's going to be basically circling the, the whole uh, bone. Okay, so the whole kind of circumference of the bone. On the inside, we're going to have the same thing. So, facing the medullary cavity, we're going to have a few layers of this inner circumferential lamellae. Okay. In between uh, the osteons, we also have these kind of remnants uh, called the interstitial lamellae, Okay. So the is- interstitial laminae are basically kind of remnants of old osteons. Remember that bone is a dynamic tissue. It's constantly undergoing uh, remodeling. So you know, at one point, we probably had a nice, beautiful osteon here, and then whatever stresses got put on the bone, that osteon got uh, eaten up, destroyed, and a new osteon got built in its place. So whatever these little remnants of these old osteons are, those would be called interstitial All right? Connecting the adjacent uh, osteons and these Haversion canals, we're going to have these perpendicular channels, and these are going to be called Volkman's canals. Okay? So Volkmann's canals are going to be these channels here that connect one perversion canal to an adjacent one. And we see that the arteries, veins, and nerves are going to be connected through these channels and this allows the, the blood basically to propagate from one osteon to the next to the next and to the next and so on to basically disperse and, and, and diffuse that, uh, the blood and, and the nerves throughout uh, the bone tissue. So if we look on this uh, image here, this is a, a 3D uh, CT reconstruction from compact bone. We see the long axis of the bone would be in this direction here and those would be those uh, haversian canals and then we see these kind of odd perpendicular channels that are connecting them, and that's, that's how they found these channels, and those would be the, the Volkman's canals. And we know we'd have an artery, vein, uh, and some nerves uh, traveling through those canals as well. Okay, so um, this, this is basically just like an exercise for you. It was a clicker question before, but I figured it's, it's not worth even bothering with this one. Um, but if we, uh, you know, this is the type of question that you could get, uh, you know, on, on the exam or on the quiz. Uh, so, you know, if number one was labeled, what, what would you say number one was? Just shout it out. This would be an osteon. Very good. Okay. Number two, aversion canal, right? It's definitely pointing to, uh, you know, that middle section of the osteon. Number three, okay, Volkmann's canal. Very good. Okay. So if this is uh, an osteon here, right, and this is the aversion canal, then we see in this page it's a it's a perpendicular channel to an haversian uh, canal, so it must be uh, Volkmann's canal. Okay, number four. Okay, how many people say interstitial lamellae? Hands up. Okay, outer. Okay, the rest of you don't care. Beautiful. Okay, so it's, it's, it's actually tough to tell from this, uh, from this image whether it's inner or outer um, because we don't have the full section. So it, it's really tough to see which part of this bone this is. But there's a few kind of clues that lead us to believe that it's most likely, or at least I think it's most likely, the outer circumferential lamellae. Okay? The reason for that is the kind of the shape of, of these circumferential lamellae. I think they kind of seem to be bowing out like that, no? So if they're bowing out like this, that means this would be the outer surface, right? Because if this was inner, they should be bowing out inwards. It should be con, uh, convex on this, sur- on this side, but they seem to be con Sorry, the other way. They should be concave, but they seem to be convex. Okay. So it doesn't really matter. On the exam, they wouldn't, you know, have both options as a as a choice, or the image would be clear. But either way, in the textbook, they just label them as circumferential lamellae. Uh, number five would be what? Interstitial MLA, very good. So it's that kind of, you know, that leftover material from those osteons. Uh, number six. Okay, number six could be a couple things, but osteocyte would be a good guess, right? Lacuna would be a good guess. Okay, so osteocyte in a book. Uh, number seven. So number seven is, is pointing to the lining of this canal. Okay, so it would be lined by endosteum, right? And then also endosteum in the Volkmann's canal and so on. So that's uh, going to be endosteum. Okay, and number eight? Okay, uh, cytoplasmic processes or canaliculi. Okay, so those are, again, those little channels uh, that are allowing the cells to communicate with their neighbors. All right? Uh, it's about 10:2, so let's take a 10-minute break and come back on the hour for uh, the next lecture.